If you turn with me to the passage in which today's uh, gospel lesson is based, it's printed in page 8 in your bulletins. The passage comes from Matthew chapter 13. I'll be reading from verses 3 to 9, and then we're going to skip over and read verses 18 to 23. Matthew chapter 13. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And this is God's word. We're closing out the series. Uh, we talked about living in light of kingly grace. And we spent a lot of time talking about the temple. And at the tail end of last week, we talked about worshiping in spirit and truth. We said we're worshiping in the spirit of God and in the truth of God, which is the word of God. So today, we're going to close out this entire series uh, looking and thinking and dwelling on what it means to grasp and understand and hear the word of God. And we do this by looking at this parable of Jesus. Uh, the parable of Jesus teaches us what it means to grow in the word of God. Now, what's a parable at, start, at, the, at the start? What's a parable? A parable is a story that has a series of ironic twists maybe a punchline, and that those series of twists or punchlines are intended to shock the listener that Jesus was talking to in their day. But the truths that come out of those twists and in the narrative are as applicable today as they were in the listener's day. That's what a parable is. In this passage, we see verses 3 to 9, that's the parable, and then verses 18 to 23, Jesus actually explains the parable And so what we're really doing is we're just expounding on what Jesus has already explained. And uh, verse 9, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. In verse 19, he says, when anyone hears about the kingdom, right, it's like a seed falling in one of these four places. So each of those four types of soil represent four types of listeners. Jesus is talking about every one of us. Every one of us falls in one of these four types of categories. And basically what Jesus is saying here is that my voice, my words, they're like a seed. Listen to me. Take what I'm saying. 
plant it, plant these truths, plant these promises, plant my warnings, my cautions, plant these words deep. Take in what I'm saying. Let the truth shape your heart. So there's three points today that we're going to look at. One, the seed. Two, the soils. And then three, how do you plant the seed? How does the seed go deep? How do you plant it deep in a way that shapes you? The seed, the soils, how, you, how it goes deep. First, we're going to look at the seed. <clears throat> the seed is the word of God. Now, this parable is very simple. Jesus even explains it. Here's a sower. He goes out to sow seeds, right? And the seeds fall in four different types of soil. That's it. That's the story. Uh, verses 18 to 19, Jesus explains it. And he says, here the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the, about the kingdom, in other words, the secret to the kingdom, the seed is the word. It's the word of God, the voice of God. A famous preacher, John Piper, he says this. He says, you want to hear God speaking to you? You want to hear God's voice? Read the Bible out loud. The secret to the kingdom, the secret to the kingdom of God, the seed of the kingdom is his voice, his words. Now, how is it so? A seed is what? A seed is small. A seed is tiny. It's light. It comes quietly. It's not like a hammer. The Word of God is not like a hammer. A hammer is what? Heavy. A hammer comes loudly. A seed grows organically. It's planted and it organically grows. It's inside out. A hammer does what? A hammer comes outside and smashes everything until it gets in. Right? A seed transforms you, it transforms internally. A hammer transforms externally. Seeds are unassuming on the outside, right? You don't really see much about a seed. We actually take it for, very, for granted. You throw it out. You, you, you throw it in the trash, right? Uh, they're very unassuming on the outside, but inside what's going on? Inside that seed, there's dynamic change when it's planted. Dynamic change takes place that happens through conversion processes, a hammer is very, very overt, very present on the outside, very, very visible, right? Uh, but change happens through pounding, right? Change happens through subversion. For a seed, because change is internal, it's got to go deep. It's got to be buried deep. What does that mean? God's voice, his word, it has tremendous power, unassuming. Everyone's got a copy, unassuming. Uh, but it's got tremendous power, and it only shapes you if you take it in. You got to let it go deep. It's got to be the soil has to be fertile, and it's got to go deep. What's a seed? It's very small. It's weak by itself. But on the inside, what's going on? There's immense potential. There's immense power. In fact, everything that you need, even for even the largest tree, for a redwood tree to grow, everything that's needed for that tree to grow. Is contained in that one little seed. It's just got to go deep. That's it. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The seed is the gospel. It's just got to go deep. And once it gets rooted in fertile soil, it sprouts up into a redwood tree, an oak of righteousness. Now, Jesus Christ, he's the king. He comes in weakness. He comes vulnerable. He comes and he's homeless from the moment he's born. He's not even, they don't even have room for him in the end. He's born and he's poor and he suffers from the day that he is born and he's killed. 
And so in a sense, he's like a single seed. He's buried. Why? So that his true power could be activated. His true power could be revealed. Not despite his weakness. Not despite his suffering. Not despite his death. But through his weakness and suffering and his death. Jesus is saying this. A person whose heart takes in the gospel, when the gospel, when he gets it, when it goes deep, it transforms that person inside out. It doesn't hammer the person. It actually transforms that person on the inside out. There's power in their lives. And that power is so dynamic. What's the word? Dy- what is, you know, a lot of us here, engineers, you've probably taken like thermodynamics or, or any type of uh, dynamics type of class. What does dynamic mean? There's a power. There's a flow. There's an engine. In fact, for a Christian, a real Christian, if the gospel has gone deep and the seed starts to activate, the power starts to get unleashed, it's so dynamic that Jesus tells Nicodemus, it's like a new birth. It's a new birth. You are a new creation. That's what the Apostle Paul says. A lot of times we think that because of our suffering, God is not present. God is not there. God is not powerful. Now, first of all, is that even good logic? Because I can't see a reason, because I can't see his power, he must not have power. Because I can't see his wisdom, he must not be wise. All it means is that the words have not gone deep. And so what that does is it re- leads to confusion and complaining, to doubt, to anger. Jesus says, you need to hear the word, the truth. You need to take it in. It's not enough just to hear it. He is he who has ears, let him hear. What he means by that is, I don't want you to just hear it and walk away as if that's enough. I want you to take it in. I want you to consume it. I want you to digest it. Because when you consume something, when you digest something, what's going on? In your body, there are active reactions that are taking place. When, when something is being consumed, and that chemical reaction that's taking place internally unleashes great power, power to make you move, power to make you act, power to make you think and reason and create. All that begins with consumption, taking something in, taking in the power. Jesus says, I want you to take in the gospel that way. I want you to bury the gospel in a fertile heart that activates and releases and becomes a power, the real power in your life. Because the one who does see Jesus enters the kingdom of God. And dynamic power then is unleashed in his life. The purpose of this parable, one, at least one of the purposes of this parable is to ask this question. Have you taken in the truth of God's word or are you just assuming that you've taken it in? A lot of us here have grown up in the church. If you've grown up in the church, you make a lot of assumptions, even if you've left for a while and come in. But the question here is, have you taken it in? Has it been buried deep in a way that shapes your life, converts you, changes you, shapes you? Do you get it? Because if you do, that dynamic power in you is going to change everything in your life. It's going to change every decision in your life, every desire in your life. It's going to change your lifestyle. You see that? The problem is what? Our ears, our hearts, the soil. That's what Jesus is referring to. He says, take heed how you hear. Why? Because the parable shows us four ways that the gospel is heard. The four ways that the gospel is, in a sense, taken in. Because Jesus comes small, even though he's powerful, because he's unassuming, even though his power is transforming, because he comes weak, even though he's a king, it's very easy to miss the truth. It's very easy to hear the truth and not really get the truth. 
Now, I heard an astounding statistic, and it's hard for me to even believe it. It's anecdotal. That 90% of people in seminary come to faith in Christ later. Do you hear that? It is, that tells us that that's an astounding statistic. It's hard for me to believe it. Very credible people have said it, which is why I, I, I just take them at their word. But wow, that's amazing if you think about it. That means that you could grow up in the Word. You could immerse yourself in the Word of God. You could be a student and a theologian and pedigreed in the Word of God and yet not get it. If that's the case with somebody who's studied in the Word, it could be the case with all of us here. If that's the case with Jesus talking to Pharisees who are students of the Word, students of the lifestyle of the Word, it can be with all of us here. We need to take heed, right? It's why you need to think about the word. It's why you need to consider the word, memorize the word, let it shape you, apply the word. But the thing is, we don't do those things. We don't. And it's why so many people, even in this room, think they get it, but they don't really get it. Each of the four soils is, in the parable, is what? It's an example of how the gospel is taken in. And so this parable is ultimately designed to ask the question, which type of soil am I? Which type of soil are we? So we're going to go into those things. The second point is the four soils. The first soil, verse of, you see this in verse 4 and 19, that represents the heart that is hard. Falls on the path, hard gravel path, right, let's say, right? The heart that is hard. It's a person to whom the gospel appeals. The gospel is enlightening but doesn't penetrate deeply because there's a hardness of heart. And so it doesn't change you. It doesn't shape you. It doesn't shape you deeply. Not in the areas that are most important in your life. And so you might apply it in certain circumstances here, this type of person, right? But the gospel will ultimately never shape the things that are most important. That you're going to cling to and hold to yourself. You guys have all watched maybe Lord of the Rings, right, the trilogy. If you read Lord of the Rings trilogy, you would understand that the, the whole book, the whole trilogy focuses, focuses on what this ring that we call our precious but when you grab a hold, when you behold this ring, what happens is you start to distort because all of your life, you're consumed by this ring. Holding and grasping it is power for you. And so what happens is you become proud and arrogant and angry and evil, and you become very protective of these things. What Jesus is saying here is that the hardened heart is the one who says, you can touch anything else in my life. Maybe I could apply it in certain circumstances, especially where it helps me, but I will never let you touch the things that are most precious to me. So reality, the gospel here is just a supplement to our life agenda. It's something that's going to help us get the things that we desire most. It's there to help us improve. We go to church, we go to God to get things when we should be coming to church and going to God to get God. So we go to church, we read the word, there is contact, but there is no impact because the heart is hard. And so at best, the gospel here, the seed, is a morale booster. At best, it's just something that's going to boost your self-image, your self-esteem, but your lifestyle, your relationships, the areas that are most important to you are not affected at all because your heart is hard. And so your career is godless. Your marriages are godless. Your children are godless. The way you spend your money is godless. Your sex life and the way you view it is godless. You are blind to yourself, and you are blind to your own blindness. The hard heart says this. The hard heart, in the end, doesn't trust God's word. The hard heart, in the end, doesn't trust God. 
And so there's no need because you don't trust in who Jesus is, because you don't trust what Jesus has done. There's no need, really, when it counts, when the rubber meets the road, in every daily circumstance where there's a decision that impacts the things that are most precious to you, there's no need to take the gospel deep. It doesn't shape you. Let me ask you, as a pastor, have you experienced this dynamic power of the gospel, the only thing that can shape you and free you from the things that you desire most apart from God? Have you truly experienced that power? How do you know? And the answer is this. It's when the gospel becomes more than something you just believe. It actually argues with you. A lot of you, you think because you argue with God, you think, oh, then I must not have a relationship with him. The best relationships, the deeper the relationship, the more arguments you get into. God is coming near, you see. But the thing is, if you walk away because you argue, because you don't agree, then there may be belief, but the belief isn't shaping you. How you know that the dynamic power of the gospel is active in your life is when it goes against your desires, your deepest desires, and it starts to shape them. In fact, it starts to own those desires. It starts to own your view of reality. Before I used to think that this is success. Before I used to think that this is is true intimacy. Before I used to think that this is the way that I'm truly accepted. Maybe it's our parents. Maybe it's just having perfect children. A lot of times we fall into that trap. But the thing is, when the gospel comes in, what you start to see is that actually my view of success is all wrong. My view of what it means to get approval is all wrong. It starts to own your view of reality. And as a result, it starts to own your decisions. It starts to challenge you in areas that you never thought you needed to be challenged. It becomes a new reality. On the one hand, the gospel brings you down because it convinces you of your sinfulness, your deep-rooted, real specific sins, not general sin, but specific sins in your life. On the other hand, it brings you life because it convinces you that God is faithful and gracious in Jesus Christ. On one hand, it brings you down. You are sinful, more than you ever thought, more than you ever imagined. On the other hand, the gospel truly, that's, that's a true cheerfulness. We call that joy. Why? Because you're convinced that God is gracious and loving and kind in Jesus Christ. Now, on one hand, the gospel threatens things that matters most to you. That's why we want to run a lot of times. It threatens things that matter most to you, the things that you desire, your impulses, your treasure. But on the other hand, the gospel compels you to surrender those things, to obey the king, because, not because it feels good, Not because it's always fulfilling, but because it's true. The Word of God is true. It is a real reality. If that hasn't happened in your life, what Jesus is saying is, your heart is hard. Now, the second type of soil is uh, verses 5 to 6, and you see this, Jesus explains it in verses 20 to 21. Jesus is saying, beware of the heart that is really shallow, where the gospel has only gone so far. Here, the gospel's moving you. Here, the gospel, you're starting to get some things. It's moving you, but it hasn't fully transformed you. Here, the gospel actually brings joy. 
The joy actually excites you. You want to move. You move beyond belief. Your eyes have opened. You see your sin. You see God's grace, but it's shallow. There are no roots. So when the heat comes, when the suffering comes, when the trial comes, when the attack comes, the middle, Jesus is speaking to a Middle Eastern community where the heat there is just unbearably scorching. And so when the heat comes, it just kills anything in its path, really. And that's why it's, a lot of times it's desert land, right, wilderness land. As soon as trouble comes in our lives, as soon as suffering comes in our lives, uh, we lapse, right? We remit. We turn away. We, we neglect the power of the gospel. And so the power is gone. We dry up. It's almost like we're withering up, right? And that's exactly the word that Jesus uses. He says it withers up. You never know who you are. You never know what you trust until you trust it in the midst of heat. You never know what you are until you are that thing in the midst of heat. There are many people who love church. There are many people who love the joy and the comfort and the presence because they're lonely people, because they're, they're approval-seeking people. And so we love community. We're like lap dogs. We desire community, right? We want to be around people. We, and gosh, I mean, look around. You get community and community and community. That's what the church is. Until it starts to, until we start to experience heat. We love the teaching until we experience suffering. And when that trouble and suffering comes, that's when we start to forget because there's no root. What's an example of heat? When your agendas, your deep-rooted agendas, you know, you ever, if you're in business, you understand the five whys, you know, well, we need this. Why do we need it? Well, because of this. Well, why do you need that? Well, because of this, right? Why do you need that job? Why do you need those grades? Why do you need that person in your life? Well, because if I don't, if I have that person in my life, then I have intimacy, then I have comfort then I have a sense of peace. Well, why do you need that? Well, because then, and you got to keep asking those whys until you get to a point where you say, at the end, it's because then I feel I'm okay. I feel validated. I feel justified. I feel approvable. I feel beautiful. We're designed to experience those things, to feel those things in some ways. It's easy to go to Jesus when you want help. It's easy to go to Jesus when you want to improve. But if you're not coming to Jesus because he's king, then you're the one actually coming with the demands. You're the, ones, you're the one that's coming. And, and the reason why you're coming to Jesus with those demands, and Jesus is, often fails us when we come with those demands, Right? When we come to Jesus with those demands, it's because something else is king. Someone else is king. So what is your suffering? What is your heat? Uh, a wise uh, teacher um, once uh, said that suffering is like, experiencing suffering is like a fist hitting a cup. You have a cup, there's water in the cup, fist hits the cup, cup knocks over, water spills out. So whatever's in that cup was in that cup. The fist, we blame the fist. We say, oh, you made me this way. Oh, this thing made me this way. My past made me this way. That's just a fist. It's just a trigger. In fact, God is using that fist to reveal 
what's in the cup? If orange juice was in the cup, orange juice would spill out. If water's in the cup, water's going to spill out. If milk is in the cup, milk is going to spill out. If anger's in the cup, anger is going to spill out. If revenge is in the cup, revenge is going to spill out. If desperation is in the cup, desperation will spill out. Everything else is a trigger. God is using those things to draw that out. You see that? It reveals what's in the heart. When the fist hits the cup, whatever's in the cup comes out. And, and so our suffering, our heat reveals what's in our hearts, what's in our cup. If you complain because your agenda is not being fulfilled, maybe there's loss. Maybe there's hardship. Maybe you're sad. Maybe you've experienced injustice or betrayal and you're angry. The heat or the suffering didn't make you angry. It reveals the anger. It reveals the arrogance. It reveals the, that, that misplaced, oftentimes misplaced sense of justice. Our failed agendas reveal all the kings in our lives that we have submitted to and surrendered to apart from God, the ultimate king. Apart from the Lord of the universe, who owns the throne in our hearts, and yet we've replaced him with these minor kings? That's called what? Rebellion. That's the heart of rebellion. That's why we sin. It reveals the true kings, the functional kings in our lives. And so the gospel moves a person who has a shallow heart. You're going to feel it. But you're not convicted of deep-rooted sins, the ones that have gone the deepest, the covert sins in your life. And so sins to you are just overt acts, not the real rebellion that's taking place at the throne, your heart. You see that? And so repentance, repentance is not real, essentially. Uh, there's no real pain. There's no real cost. And so what happens is you feel better, but you're not truly cured because you never repented of your idols. And you're still essentially using those things to save yourself. And so here's a person in the church who desperately wants to get in, but doesn't feel in. What do they do? Well, they complain. And they compare themselves with other people. Oh, this church is so exclusive. This church, the people here are so elitist. And then they start to gossip and they create discord. What are they doing? They're trying to save themselves. They're trying to justify themselves. And so when they're called out regarding their sins, how do they respond? They become defensive. They start to, co you know, create coalitions and say, well, I'm not like that, right? That's not me, right? They're trying to save themselves. God is demonstrating tremendous grace by providing a safe place where we can address our sins, where we can repent of our sins, where we can walk with people in our sins because the fist has hit the cup and we're just reacting and we're reacting with anger and threatening behavior and we're backbiting and we're gossiping. That's what we call fruit. That's the fruit of an unrepentant heart, a shallow heart. A shallow heart lacks generosity. A shallow heart lacks kindness, deep kindness. A shallow heart. You know, we say, well, you don't know me on the inside. That's what's on the inside. You see? A shallow heart lacks true gentleness, true peace, because the heart is at war. And so what comes out is what? War. That's what comes out. Friends, the gospel never appears like that. That's what a hammer does. The gospel never appears like that. The third uh, soil is, uh, you see it in verse 7 and also in verse 22. This is the duplicitous heart. Um, 
I've tried to figure out what do you call this heart. And so I, I defer to like other commentators on this one in terms of what to call it. A duplicitous heart. That's a good one. This one's scary. It may be easy to see that the first two hearts, a hard heart, a shallow heart, they're probably not Christians. It's probably easy to see that. But it's very difficult to see this one. In this soil, the seed springs up, committed to Christ, but there's no power. Why? Because of the worries of the world. And Jesus specifically says, it's your money. It's the deceitfulness of wealth that choke you like a thorns, like thorns. They choke the truth in you, and as a result, you don't bear fruit. That's what he says. You're not bearing fruit. And so the result is essentially the same thing as the first two seeds, right? The hard heart and the shallow heart. You're committed to Christ at first. You may even see your sin. Maybe you're even convicted of sin. You see God's love. You're convicted of God's love. But you have not relinquished every area of your life, particularly, he says, the area of wealth, the desire for wealth, the hoarding of wealth. And so the worries, your worries, your fists, is the fist that hits the cup. Your anxiety is the fist that hits the cup, and it reveals an unfaithfulness. It yields an unfruitfulness. You're committed to Christ at first. You're serving, and you're reading, and you're doing community. But what happens is those things become ammunition that you bring to Christ, and you say, I've done my part. How come you're not doing your part? Where is my prosperity? Where is my sense of acceptance? Where is my approval? Because a lot of us, the wealth that we're seeking is not the end in itself. The wealth is actually a means to getting approval. The wealth is a means to just become more acceptable to others. And so the sense that you need to win people's love through your wealth or your success or your accomplishments or your intelligence, these are the things that gain wealth, right, help you gain wealth, maybe your good looks, your ability to connect, your network, your, your ability to connect with other people, your sexual appeal, you're just working and you're laboring hard. And so that's what you're doing. You're committing uh, little acts, subtle actions, things that are subterranean. Maybe most people, uh, the, the naked eye can't see. And you're committing these subtle things. You're maneuvering your way to still get what you want. All in the guys, maybe self-deception that, oh yeah, I'm, I'm serving, I'm in community, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. And that's the way you justify yourself so you can't be blamed. You take small liberties, but over time, those small liberties and combined with the service and the community and the prayer and the, and the doing the things that you're supposed to, you're called to do, what happens is that creates ammunition. And what it does, you feel entitled to commit greater acts, to take more brazen acts. And what happens is eventually leads to brazen acts of terrible judgment and sin. Why? Because the truth of God's word, his love is all you need. His grace, more than enough. His calling, his voice, his kingship are all overtaken still by the worries and anxieties driven by your desires, your pride. Other kings have taken over. They've crowded out. They've choked Jesus out. And that yields unfruitful character. Jesus says, hey, you see it by the fruit. There's no fruit. 
But you have to see, that's a very dim picture of three types of people in the church. But this parable is not really intended to condemn. It's an invitation. Jesus is inviting us. He's telling us a story. He's not holding court. This isn't a trial. He's telling you a story. And he wants you to apply the story. It's an invitation. He's saying, I want you to examine yourself. Verse 18, are you hearing? Are you listening? Through the parable, Jesus says, I want your heart to be soft, not hard. I want the gospel to go deeper, not shallow. I want you to bring truth in. Truth in so that you don't live a life, a duplicitous life. He said, I want your heart to be fertile. I want the gospel to go deep. I want it to give you courage. I want it to humble you. I want you to be whole. I want you to be integrated. What is at the heart of duplicity? What does it mean to be duplicitous? At the heart of duplicity is somebody who's not whole. Math teachers, right? Math students, people who are good at math. Just from looking, most of you are good at math, right? Uh, Right? Uh, what is a whole number, right? A whole number is what? A number that's not a fraction. Jesus is saying, I want you to be whole. I don't want you to be fractioned. I don't want you to be in pieces. I don't want you to be scatter-hearted. So you have one love here and one love here and one love here, one king here, but another king here that's deeper and another king here. He said, I, I want you to be integrated, one heart that is whole. That's where you get the word integrity. I want you to have integrity. Not one part here, one part here. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, God had told Saul, the king, he's the first king of Israel, God tells Saul, I want you to go and attack the Amalekites. They are an evil people. They are driven by violence. I want you to end the violence by ending them. I want you to, get, I want you to wipe them out. I want you to bring my justice to that land because they are a vicious and wicked people. I want you to wipe out the entire country. And I don't want you to just wipe out the people. I want you to wipe out everything, anything that's walking and moving, cattle, sheep, get rid of everything there. Now, Saul is the king, and he wipes out most of everything. He actually holds the king back, the Amalekite king. He actually leaves the the animals, some of the animals, the choice animals. He says it's for a sacrifice, but he holds it back. And Samuel, who's a judge, also in many ways a prophet, now comes to Saul. He's, Saul's getting sent for. And the moment he walks up to Saul, Saul says, I've obeyed. <laughs> and and so, so Samuel says, uh, well, you know, what Saul says, I've obeyed the word of the Lord. In other words, the actual language is there, I've heard and obeyed God's voice. Samuel says, yeah, why is it that I hear cattle? You know, you can almost see the drama, right? I've obeyed. Right? And, and Samuel's like, yeah, why is it I hear this? It's funny, right? But the problem is there are a lot of cattle lowing in our hearts. Lots of cattle lowing in our hearts and our lives. Ooh, it gets quiet, right? Because we know it's true. Because even though we say we trust, we don't act like we trust. Even though we say we hear, we really ignore. Even though we say we believe, we're still doing our own thing, aren't we? 
And that's, that's the source of our anxiety and our deceits. Jesus is saying, this is how you grow. Bear fruit. Run from these things. A duplicitous heart is disintegrated, right? Disintegrated in pieces. Disconnected from truth. The truth, the only truth that can save. So what do you do? You got to let the truth of the gospel move your heart regarding your sin, regarding your grace, regarding God's grace in Christ, all the way in so that you avoid the labor and the works that actually are killing you. Even the subtle things that you're doing to get somebody's approval, even the subtle, silent things that you're doing, the things that you don't like to face or talk about, the things that you want to justify, like carbon monoxide, it's in your heart and it's silently killing you. And, and what Jesus wants is for us to move towards receiving grace, the grace that brings life and joy, a blossoming in obedience. Then he says, you will bear fruit. How do you do it? Because I got to go fast. I got to go quick on this, right? How do we do this? The soil's job is not to get rid of the birds. It's not to get rid of the rocks. It's not to get rid of the thorns. The soil's job is not to create, you know, a deep depth. That's not the soil. That's the job of the farmer, the sower, the father. You got to give yourself, surrender to the gardener. Don't try to replace the gardener. Surrender to him. Read the word, pray, engage in community, submit, be honest with yourselves and with others. Immerse yourselves in the truth of the gospel this way. Okay? Good? We're going to pray? It's going to be over? That's all you need? Is that it? We know that's not it. Not if you've been attending this church for a while. We know that there's always like 15 more minutes. There's not. There's not 15 more minutes, right? Um, If that's what you've been doing, that's a problem. There's a problem because if you do that, you're just becoming one of the three soils. You're just becoming one of the three soils. The seed of God's word will not go deep if you just do those things. You're just going to be discouraged. So how does it go deep? You got to look at the fourth soil. The The fourth soil is fertile, verse 23. It's fertile soil. Jesus says, this person hears and understands deeply the penetrating voice of God. It's not enough to know that God became weak. It's not enough to know that the powerful king became powerless, the powerless servant. You need to know that the powerful king became the powerful servant for you. It's got to be personal. Sin has to be personal. You got to own it. God's love must be even more personal in a sense. It's got to be just as personal or more. And so in John chapter 12, Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Everyone is saying, hail to the king, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? But now this is what he says. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat, a seed, falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What is he saying? He's saying, I am the seed. It's my voice. It's my truth. I am the seed in the flesh, in person. And in order for me, for this seed to penetrate the hard soil, in order for the seed to penetrate the shallow soil, in order order for the seed to go deeper in the thorny soil, it needs to go down and it needs to fall. And it 
needs to die and be buried. That's why my kingdom will flourish, not through strength, not despite weakness, but through my weakness. I have to be weak because through that weakness, the seed will burst into salvation and joy and eternity. Not by force, not by smashing, but by being smashed, by being weak, by being destroyed. And it wasn't, he didn't do this to improve his character. He was holy. Jesus is perfect, perfectly obedient. He did it for your perfection. He did it for your character, you see. When we are in union with Christ, it's your character that bears fruit. That is his fruit. If you have hardness in right now, if you're the hard heart on the cross, Jesus Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That means that Jesus Christ took the hardness. That means he got the hammer. That means he got smashed. He was totally broken up. God had turned his face away from his son. He was hardened against Jesus, and yet Jesus Christ remained soft. You know that he was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is, he's reciting Psalm 22. He's reciting scripture to the end his heart fertile and soft. All the while the world had rejected him. God has rejected him. Jesus Christ remains soft. He trusted God. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. He did this for you. He did this for us. Knowing that Jesus remains soft while the world and God had rejected him, that should move us and soften us. He did it for us. Is there heat in your life? Is there suffering in your life? And your soil is shallow? right? On the cross, the wrath of God was pouring out, just pelting on Jesus, pelting Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I am dried up. I am withering. My power is gone. I've been sapped out. Jesus Christ took the heat of the ultimate wrath of God. He took the suffering of the wrath of God, the persecution of the wrath of God, and yet he remained utterly faithful, totally faithful, he made, to the end, to his death, you see his love for people. He's on the cross. He's telling one guy on the cross, you will be with me in paradise. He's telling John, his disciple, here is your mother. He's pointing to his mother. He says, now here is your mother. I want you to take care of her. He's dying on the cross, and he's telling his friend, will you take care of my mom? He's telling his mom, will you take him in as your son? You see that? To the end. And if you know that he did it for his disciples, if you know that he did it for those he loves, why did he die? He did die for you. He died for you. Let it become personal. To the end, he's thinking for those he loves. He's thinking for you. There's the love that you need. There's the acceptance you need. Every time you look at the cross, there's the validation and the approval that you've been looking for to release the hold of wealth and power and all these things in your life. He remained faithful to the end. You have thorns in your life? You have thorns? You're feeling choked by your anxieties? Choked by your doubts, Jesus Christ got a crown of thorns. Literally, he was choking on the cross. Do you know when, you, when you're dying on the cross, you're not just dying of the blood loss and the pain. It's, you're dying as, of a, asphyxiation. You're suffocating. And even, more, even before the cross, at Gethsemane, the night before, Jesus, knowing what he's about to suffer, knowing that God would abandon him, he says, my soul is troubled to the point of death. What is he saying? I'm choking. I'm choking in this. And yet he says, not my will, yours be done. Remain faithful and fruitful to the end. And knowing that he was faithful for you 
bore the thorns for you, focused on the cross for you. Not one moment was he divided. Not one moment was he in fractions. His body, in fractions. He was being torn apart, but his soul intact, never wavering. God disconnected, disintegrated from Jesus, and so Jesus is withering away, and yet his soul, his heart, perfectly faithful for you to honor the Father and for his people. Will that give you the power to cling to him, to be integrated to him? You have rocks, Jesus was buried behind one. You have thorns, Jesus Christ bore the thorns. He is the most fertile soil, always soft, always faithful, always trusting. Look to Christ who died for you. The world says you got to try harder. You got to try harder. You got to keep working. You got to work hard to remove guilt. Maybe be acceptable before others. Do whatever it takes. You got to work. You got to labor. You don't have to tell people about it. You got to, this is all game. You got to navigate these things. Steal, cheat, lie, do whatever it takes to get ahead. That's what you need to do. You need to work. You need to work. That's the heat. That's the choking. That's what it's, that's what getting, when you feel lost from that, that's this, that's getting smashed. That's the hammer. You're just living in self-deception and deceiving other people about who you really are. And it's tiring. It's tiring. And it's not rewarding. And it doesn't work. Plant the gospel deeper into the soul in a way that it builds your character, builds your trust, builds your love for Jesus. That's why we serve. That's why we do community. A person who has actually planted the gospel deeper and is serving, is, is connected to God intimately, will then serve and love others because even to the dying moment, Jesus was doing that. So whose voice are you letting in? And how deep is it going in your life? What are you trusting apart from God in your life? Apart from Jesus' sweet, life-giving words, how is it shaping you? How is it changing you? How much power or courage do you have in your life? Are you dwelling in self-pity? What are those voices that you are planting deep inside that enable you to stay in that self-pity, then use the self-pity to explain your inactivity? Listen to the gospel. Listen to the voice of God. It is gentle. It is patient. It is loving. It is gracious. It is kind. It is restoring. It is new. And plant it deeper and deeper into your soul. And you will bear the fruit of repentance. You will bear the fruit of salvation. You will bear the fruit of the tree of life. Let's pray.